Doug Sands. Welcome to Food Experience Unplugged. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. It is great to have you here as a hypnotist. Mm-hmm. Now, now, before everybody gets scared away, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's probably not that type of hypnosis. But when we're talking specifically about emotional eating, weight loss, and how hypnoti- hypnosis <laughs> fits into that, that whole schema. This podcast is available on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be informed as new episodes become available. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our episodes, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite platform. As always, check out our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com for some resources as you begin your health journey. But to begin with, will you take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us what brought you to this point in your life and career and and why the hypnosis? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, As we mentioned, my name is Doug Sands. Um, I don't think that many people start their life thinking that they're going to be a hypnotist. That certainly wasn't my journey. Um, I went to college for psychology and for an English minor as well. And so it wasn't until I was dealing with my own issues, trying to figure out my own mental health, my own weight journey, that I started looking into um, some unique ways of dealing with that. And I had some um, pretty pretty watershed moments, including a hike that I mentioned on my website that was uh, pretty extreme. Um, but I realized I couldn't keep living the way I'd been living, you know, just avoiding my emotions. I actually had to deal with them. And so I discovered meditation and growing up in rural Wisconsin, that was kind of revolutionary for me. And after learning more about meditation and practicing it for so long, I discovered the link with hypnosis. And like so many people, I thought hypnosis was just either a stage show, either it was you know, completely fake or just a gimmick or something, or I thought it was uh, like a malpractice or like, um, you know, mind control or something like that. But once I actually started learning hypnosis and using it for some of my own issues, uh, I was blown away with how successful it actually was. And so I kind of learned it as a passion project. Now it's become what I do full time. Mm, wow, that that is amazing. So you were struggling with your own your own health issues to begin with, and that yes, came- yeah, I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and um, depression and mental illness essentially, but. I was using food as my coping mechanism. That was the first way I really learned to deal with those emotions. And for most of my life, I I thought that emotions were something I couldn't really control or I didn't have any influence over. And so the only way I could fix that was to use food to kind of push it aside. And so that was, even after I kind of uh, lost the weight and got healthy, one of the biiggest struggles I still faced was using food as as a tool rather than just to feed my body. Mm, okay. So, so tell us a little bit more about on, on with the emotional eating and, and using food and, you know, your, that whole struggle with, which unfortunately affects many, many people. Absolutely. A lot of us, myself included, use food as a way to, to not feel things. Food tends to light up our brains the same way as um, certain drugs do, or even human contact. And so it's a great way to uh, uh, give us that easy that easy shot of dopamine, essentially. And when we're dealing with something that we're not quite ready to face, whatever it might be in our life, uh, oftentimes food becomes a coping mechanism. And I believe the reason it becomes such a predominant coping mechanism that a lot of people struggle with is that it's it's socially acceptable. It's socially acceptable to you know eat a pint of ice cream after we've had a really hard day or uh, to just have a snack when we're feeling a bit down. And so we kind of get caught up into this habit without even realizing that it might not be the best solution for us. 
Okay. And, and so with yours, um, did you just reach, you know, a certain health point or a certain weight where you said, wait a minute, this, this is just not working for me anymore. It was more so a struggle with the, the emotions, like mental illness behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, for, for much of my life, I had been trying to tackle the, the, the symptom essentially of, of this problem. I had been going after the emotional eating or going after my weight. When had I been going at the root cause from the very beginning, I probably would have solved it much faster. But when I, when I finally realized I couldn't just keep ignoring my emotions and I actually had to work with them, that's when, uh, when I found those tools, that's when it started to just go away on its own because I no longer needed that cope mechanism to help me deal with day-to-day life. Mm, okay. So you didn't necessarily have to address the emotional eating head on. You were mm. really addressing more of the, the mental health of the thoughts, the feelings aspect of it. Absolutely. And that kind of, and that really tied into it both ways because, um, you know, I felt better about myself, um, you know, loving myself and my body image, but I also felt that I didn't need to use food as that drug anymore. And so once I reached that point, it just it, it didn't become an issue anymore. It was, it was such a, such a relaxing and empowering experience to realize that food didn't really control me anymore. Because even after I lost a lot of weight and on the outside, I looked really healthy, but I still had that really negative kind of controlling and domineering relationship with food that I had to work through. Mm, okay. So, so tell us a little bit more about, about working through that and, and maybe, you know, starting out, how are, are emotions tied in with the weight? What's that link? And yeah, our, our emotions, oftentimes they are both the cause and the, um, the, I don't want to say the effect, but the continuation of our, of our weight. They're often the cause of it because we stress eat or we eat to avoid a difficult emotion. I often tell people who are, you know, looking at this information that anytime that we use food to avoid a certain emotion, that's emotional eating, whether it's boredom or loneliness, or if we're just happy and we have a bunch of food at that point, if we're eating because of an emotion rather than hunger, that's, that's causing extra weight gain. And that is emotional eating, but also our emotions can help perpetuate that weight because our minds tend to use extra weight as either a survival skill or as protection. When we have extra weight, extra, extra fat is fuel. And our primal minds still believe that we need that extra fuel just in case a famine hits or something terrible goes wrong. And on the other side of it, oftentimes uh, weight is a way to physically distance ourselves from other people. I see this all the time when working with um, sensitive cases like um, trauma and abuse. People have that distance they want to keep with other people. And it's, it's both the physical barrier of that extra weight, but it's also allowing them to kind of stay in the background. We don't tend to notice people who have that extra weight quite as much. Mm, okay. So that just kind of anything linked, anything um, besides hunger is considered emotional eating, yes. essentially. Okay. Okay. And now what was that um, you mentioned to kind of, you know, coming to terms, so to speak, with your relationship with food. Will you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. What kind of sparked all of this was a hike that I took in New Hampshire in the middle of winter. I got lost in a blizzard. And to put it, to put it bluntly, mm -hmm. I almost froze to death. And so oh. that was that moment that uh, my anxiety really reared up after that. And for the week afterwards, I was, I was literally shaking and I was using food to deal with that and to not feel what I was feeling. 
And I, I just got sick of it. I got fed up with it and I realized that I couldn't keep going on this path. And so I'd been already at that point trying to work with my emotional eating for years and trying to figure out a healthy way to deal with that emotion. And it wasn't until I really accepted that the, the emotions causing this emotional eating, I had to deal with those first before the actual issue was going to go away. And there were a lot of bumps along the road. I used uh, meditation and hypnosis to really deal with my own issues and take some ownership over them. Um, I'd gone to therapy, I'd used medication, and I still recommend that for many of my clients. But the big turning point for me was when I actually took ownership over what I was feeling and addressed that directly. Mm, okay. Now, now, just kind of, kind of getting into the the hypnosis part because you had just kind of um, gotten into it yourself. Now, now, what exactly? What's the the science behind the hypnosis? As you know, using it for emotional eating or resolving your relationships with food and so forth. Yeah, there's quite a bit of science behind it, and that's something that I had to learn, and that a lot of my uh, a lot of my clients they also don't know this science because we're not really taught it. Um, there's over 125 years of study done on hypnosis, and it's been approved by all kinds of different organizations from the American Health Organization, American Health Association, I should say, um, the APA, the NHS, all kinds of organizations actually approve hypnosis. But the actual science of what happens in hypnosis is that in a nutshell, we are simply using many of the same techniques that psychologists and therapists use in their sessions to help people change, but we're using that in a, in a hypnotic trance. And so to get a person into that hypnotic trance, what we're essentially doing is helping them slow down their brain waves and the, the brain waves in a nutshell. During a normal conversation, you know, like we're having right now, we are in what's called beta frequency. Below beta, we have alpha, and that's where we go when we're in a light trance, like if we're driving a car and we zone out, or if we get really into like a good movie or TV show. Below alpha, we have theta, and theta is that golden working state of hypnosis. It's that really creative state that we tend to go to if we're in the zone or if we're in flow. It's also that creative state that we pass through on our way to delta frequency, which is when we're asleep. That's kind of why hypnosis looks like we're asleep, because it's hovering right above that state but we're awake and alert the entire time. And so when a person is in that theta frequency, what's happening is the critical faculty, essentially the part of our minds that stops us from believing nonsense. You know, it's that part that if you tell a kid, uh, you know, they're 10 years old, if you tell them there's a purple dragon waiting outside in the hall for them, they're probably gonna, you know, they might believe it, they might not. It's that critical faculty that blocks and says, you know, that's, that's probably not real. And as adults, we often have that critical faculty on high alerts all the time. And what hypnosis does, it's partially about the trust that you have with your hypnotist to really allow those suggestions to take hold. But in that theta state, the critical faculty, it's not, it's not offline. It's still helping you, but it is a little more permissible to allow um, certain programs to be worked with, certain habits to be changed, and new things to be um, implemented, new programs to actually be installed so that they're working for you. Mm, okay. So with the, the hypnosis, you mentioned you're, you're awake, you're alert during that phase, but you're just in a different state. So it is, is it, it sounds almost like you're doing a therapy session, but in, you know, in a hypnotic state versus in your regular conversational uh, mode, so to speak. Exactly. And for those who have done guided meditations, I often say that's kind of what hypnosis feels like. And that's actually the link between hypnosis and meditation. 
is that many guided meditations will get people to that alpha state and sometimes all the way down to that theta state. What hypnosis is really about is about helping people to relax into that state so that they can make the changes that they logically know they should make, but their mind is not putting up that resistance to making that change. Mm, okay. So now where does the, we've got with the hypnosis, but now where does that correlation come with the, with the weight loss, with the emotional eating? Yeah. Weight loss hypnosis has been around almost since the start of hypnosis, I should say. Um, it's not a magic wand though. A lot of people have this misconception that they go in to see a weight loss hypnotist and they're going to lose 50 pounds by next weekend, but it's definitely not like that. Um, hypnosis for weight loss is really about changing the, the thought patterns, the habits and the motivations that underpin that, um, that issue. That's oftentimes why I work with nutritionists and health experts to offer a, a well-rounded approach. Because if you already know how to lose weight, you know, the nuts and bolts, hypnosis can definitely help you get there by helping you overcome that, um, those limitations that you're putting on yourself. You know, if you know you should go to the gym, but you're not really motivated to go, hypnosis can really help build up that motivation. And also if there are certain cravings that are holding you back, uh, hypnosis can help reduce those cravings. You know, have, a, have it in moderation. Uh, it's not about removing that completely, but it can help you enjoy that um, in a moderate sense. And the connection with um, emotional eating, it's also about building up things that we logically know that we should be doing, uh, but we still you know, we're running those old habits. A lot of people don't realize what I do with uh, emotional eating with hypnosis is that I'm also bringing in a lot of tools that hypnotists use with anxiety and with PTSD and with other things that work on those deep core emotions. And so hypnosis for emotional eating is really twofold. It's about changing the habits um, that we use on the surface, but it's also changing those root emotions that cause that, that habit to, to come up in the first place. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So it now I don't I don't know. Short of I guess A B testing and other things, <laughs> but as far as um, I guess results through weight loss hypnosis versus typical therapy for the weight loss for the emotional eating. What's the? Is there uh, some kind of uh, science or or observations that you've seen in in, in comparison? There are. Yeah, there are quite a few studies that have looked at the efficacy of hypnosis. Um, I've got a couple on my website if people are interested. Um, there are also a lot just on Google Scholar. If people want to know more, they can simply go to Google Scholar and type in weight loss and hypnosis. There's anyway, um, the nuts and bolts of the you know the numbers. Um, weight loss hypnosis, it's it's not effective for everyone. There are hypnotists out there who will claim they could fix anything. And I, you know, I don't quite believe that because it's all about that relationship that you build with the, the client. And if the client is not ready to change, that change is not going to happen no matter what I do. And so oftentimes when I'm working with programs, I see anywhere from like a 70 to an about a 90% success rate. Um, with the studies out there, there are um, some studies that have found about a 64% success rate, some that have found about a 95% success rate. And it's really based on what the metrics are. Is it, you know, they lost any weight at all, or is it that they lost weights, you know, over the next two years. But just to put that in comparison, um, there's a study that I reference all the time about weight loss surgery, and that people, researchers have found that those who undergo weight loss surgery, about half of them will actually gain all the weight back or more within two years. And that's really what hypnosis is working on. It's not, it's not like the physical change, it's the habits and the, um, 
motivations and the issues underlying it that would actually cause you to gain weight. And once those are gone or at least dealt with, then it's no longer much of an issue. Mm, okay. <clears throat> so you mentioned kind of getting to know the client to begin with. So do you begin your um, sessions or, or you know, work, work with somebody by just having regular therapy sessions and then moving into the hypnosis? I actually don't do regular therapy, but in the in the beginning of a hypnosis program, I will spend that um, you know that initial whatever whatever it might be before that session. Maybe it's fifteen minutes, maybe it's half an hour, forty five minutes, getting to know a person's um, what their thoughts are about hypnosis, as well as what specific issues and definitions of those issues they're working with. Because my definition of emotional eating is not the same as everyone else's, and so I really want to know what exactly they're struggling with so that I'm not giving them suggestions that might help other people, but that aren't a perfect fit. It's really about communicating to them um, in their own in their own frame of the world so that those changes are actually going to stick with them. Mm, okay. Now, is, you mentioned um, also like disordered eating. Do you kind of work with others who may have anorexia or bulimia or other eating disorders as well as the emotional eating part? I absolutely do. And just, just as a disclaimer, um, I'm a hypnotist, not a, not a um, doctor or a nurse. And so I tell people that I can't work directly with your anorexia or your bulimia or your bulimia because, you know, that's a diagnosis, but I can work with your disordered eating. And if this thing called anorexia just happens to go away, you know, that's, that's fine by me. So it's simply about uh, having that kind of work around for them. Um, it's oftentimes that same, uh, that same issue of emotional eating. It's simply at another level. Um, hypnosis is actually quite effective for working with disordered eating because it is that habit. Oftentimes people with anorexia or bulimia or other types of eating disorders, they know they want to change, but as soon as that trigger hits, it's like they automatically do it. And oftentimes when working with anorexia or body image issues like body dysmorphia, um, it's that perception. It's that perception of what our bodies look like and what our bodies are supposed to look like via our societal norms. Oftentimes, we are kind of programmed to believe that what we see on the uh, on Instagram with all of the airbrushed models and Photoshop uh, pictures, that that's how we're supposed to look, even though it's probably not physically possible for our bodies. And so hypnosis can really help to remove some of those um, standards that we have unfairly set for ourselves. Mm, okay, interesting. Now, do you have um, like success stories, <laughs> for a lack of a better word here, in terms of those with whom you've worked or associated with, um, in terms of of the the effectiveness of the, the 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 eating hypnosis versus other other means or other? Uh, tell us maybe a little bit about the the journeys of of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in recent times, I've been actually asking more clients to record some video information that I can share with webs on my website, so people can actually see those results and see the person behind, you know, the review or whatever. Whatever. I've got a few result, a few reviews on you know Google and on my website, but um, perhaps the most telling, um, perhaps the most telling journey that I've worked with um, is one that I'd love to share, just in brief. Uh, and anyone listening, uh, just know that all of my all of my information that I'm sharing, it's it's confidential. And so all names are changed. All information is changed. Um, let's, you know, I was working with this woman out of, out of the South in the U.S. Um, she was from, you know, Mississippi or Alabama. And she had been struggling with her weight for almost all of her life. 
And she'd been really attacking it with, um, you know, like Weight Watchers and dieting and fad diets and really restrictive things that um, really helped in the short term. It helped her lose weight for those 30 days. But as soon as that diet was over, she was back to exactly the habits that she'd built up beforehand. And so when working with her, I worked with a program. So I, I offer two different programs. One is specifically about weight. And one is specifically about emotions behind the weight. Um, she wanted to do what's called the virtual gastric band, which kind of mimics that actual gastric band surgery. And it's really just about increasing the full signals so that we stop automatically when we've had enough. But I worked with this woman with the virtual gastric band and it's a four session program. And after the first session, she was a little bit hesitant. She wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. And when she came in for that second session, she was blown away because that very first meal that she'd had, um, she'd stopped halfway through that plate because she said it wasn't comfortable anymore. I no longer felt I needed that food. And so I just pushed it away. And so in the follow-up sessions, we worked a little bit more on the emotions um, just to help wrap that up. But she actually, and the reason I mentioned this is that she contacted me about three days ago and said, hey, you know, this has been almost three years now. And I just want to let you know that I'm feeling fantastic and I'm at a comfortable weight now. And she just wanted to say thank you. Okay. So <clears throat> like in her situation, it was more um, kind of linking it to the surgery. Trying to trying to dissect exactly what what was happening there. Yeah. So in a nutshell, the virtual gastric band it's it's called that because it, you know it has it has that um, link with what people already trust with with surgery, but it's all about increasing those full signals and changing the habits of overeating. Oftentimes, my clients think that every single time you eat, you should eat to feeling stuffed. Or oftentimes, what I work with is that people think or they grew up in households where they had to clean their entire plates, even if they didn't really want that extra food. And so it's often about removing those roadblocks. And then the key of that entire program is simply increasing those full signals because our brains and our bodies naturally send those full signals back and forth. But oftentimes we don't get that complete full signal until about 20 minutes after we eat. And so it's really about moving up that signal so that we know as soon as we have, we have reached that point that that's all we really need for this meal. And we can have as much as we want in the next meal. Mm, okay. So more on the, I guess the, what are you, subconscious, subconscious thoughts and feelings that, that people have struggled to resolve versus at just having a, uh, just regular, uh, what was it? Beta, the beta waves are yes. the normal ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, regular beta conversation. So to speak. yeah. Absolutely. And it's touching on that. It's a lot of us think that, you know, we, we are logical creatures. We kind of choose our own path, but when we actually look at our day-to-day -day actions and how many of our actions are actually created by habit, by those subconscious and unconscious programs that we're running, it's kind of startling. Our minds are kind of running a lot of things in the background, whether it's brushing our teeth or thinking about uh, things during morning commutes and our mind is keeping us safe on that drive. Our mind is really running things in the background while our conscious attention is kind of <laughs> kind of going off on its own thing. And that's why I find hypnosis to be so effective by working with that directly. Mm, okay. Now you mentioned that that you still use hypnosis in your your day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life. How has that really helped you maintain, I guess, um, maintain your relationship with food or build or enhance? Um, really uh, having a good relationship with food going forward versus uh, versus previously? 
Yeah, it's been a really great help. I often do, I aim to do hip, hypnosis actually every morning. I do a little bit of meditation and then a little bit of self-hypnosis just to clear up any issues that I might be feeling. And oftentimes I'm not really dealing with weight loss anymore because it's not so much of an issue. I've built up those habits now that um, it's not something I struggle with anymore. But what oftentimes I tell clients is that um, the, the weight loss hypnosis, for most cases, it's going to be a change made for life. Because once those habits are built, uh, your brain is going to build in new habits on top of that, and it's just going to be an upward spiral effect. But in certain cases, there are those times when um, we have that traumatic experience, you know, six months after the session. I worked with a client who had a car accident six months after the session. Mm -hmm. And what happened was she fell back into that same pattern uh, because her mind had kind of kept that emotional eating kind of had set it on the back shelf as a way, you know, a backup tool, just in case what she was working with was no longer working. And I often tell clients, you know, it's not about removing that option because your mind is going to hold on to that just in case it needs it. Um, and so for me personally, there was a time about um, nine months after I did most of my work that I had to touch on, you know, body image and some other things with hypnosis. Um, and that does happen. But oftentimes, once those changes are made, those changes are good for life. Mm, okay. And now you mentioned that you, you know, do that yourself with you work with the hypnosis. Is that something after a uh, person has worked with you for a certain length of time, they're, they're more self-sufficient in terms of, of making, uh, you know, adjustments or, or things of that nature? Absolutely. The goal with all of my sessions is not to, you know, put them on retainer for, you know, five months, five years down the road. It's really about giving them the tools to work through that. Uh, some clients actually do ask about self-hypnosis, if I can help teach that a little bit. Um, and I do have a couple of different resources. Um, probably the best way to learn self-hypnosis, I often tell my clients, is simply to experience hypnosis and then learn some tools to get back there. It's kind of tricky because you have to be both the hypnotist and the, the client being hypnotized. But um, for clients interested in that to kind of um, take control over their own health, I do offer that as a as an addition that they can, you know, offer themselves touch-ups, I guess, on their program. Mm, okay. Okay. Now, um, in terms of, of the, the relationship with food, how would you, I guess, how would you kind of describe their, um, that transformation in the, the relationship with food? Oftentimes it's not immediate. Um, what I find is that the changes in hypnosis can happen very quickly, but our realization of those changes tend to um, plot along. And, you know, it's, it might be a week or two weeks before we realize, hey, I haven't had this issue with food. I haven't, um, for some clients, you know, they feel nervous every single time they walk into their kitchen or they feel nervous to go out to eat because of all of those negative associations around restaurants and food. And it's that realization two or three weeks down the road that I haven't really had that feeling that I'm out of control or that I need to be afraid of food anymore. And so oftentimes what I tell clients is that once we remove that foundation of, of the issue, whatever it is, anything that's built on that issue tends to just crumble on its own. And so even though hypnosis, it might be, you know, just a two session program or a four session program. Um, even though that session is very brief, the changes and the, the domino effect that comes from those changes oftentimes last for, lasts for several weeks after the session. Mm, okay. So they're kind of, because they're, they're underlying thinking or beliefs or, or other things are, are adjusted 
and then at, back in the beta state, you can um, you you have more of a of control over that relationship. Absolutely. Once we change those that foundation um, and those habits are different, then we can consciously realize what has changed in that beta state, and we can then actually start to build the habits that we want to build in place of that. Mm, okay. Now, now building those new habits does that come? under hypnosis or is the hypnosis more of getting rid of the the negative habits and then you know back in the beta state you're focusing on positive habits or other types of development hypnosis can really help with both i mean when what essentially a habit is it's a a conscious program that we've done so long that our mind is like "I, i got this i'll put this in the unconscious and i'll just take care of it and so with hypnosis we are often uh, creating those new habits. I say that the most important thing is to remove those negative bad habits first. And if we have extra sessions after that to build in those new habits, that's perfect. But oftentimes, uh, if a client is like, you know, finances are kind of tough, I just want to work with the negatives, and I can work on building in those positive habits afterwards, we can do that as well. Hypnosis is just a really rapid way to change those habits. I mean, doing it consciously through the beta state, oftentimes it takes you know those 30 days to really cement that habit. But in hypnosis, we can often do that in two sessions, maybe even a single session. Mm, impressive. Very nice. Now, for those just just starting out, they might be struggling with various aspects of emotional eating or building their relationship. One is, what is the first step? How do people get started in really uh, making lasting change for themselves? Yeah, what I recommend if someone wants to go the hypnosis route or is even considering that route I would recommend first first trying hypnosis. Um, When I first started, oftentimes I would just put people in that first session and they would be really uncomfortable with what hypnosis is. And so now when someone signs up for a session, I actually have them do a recorded hypnosis audio at least three times before the actual session just to see what the effect is like. And so there are a lot of free resources on YouTube. Uh, I've actually got some free hypnosis resources if people are interested in that. and if someone is, if someone goes through that and they're still thinking that hypnosis isn't quite for them, I encourage them to look at it through another another tool, whether that's therapy or whether that's just general counseling or um, just noting their specific habits, whatever root causes might be causing those, and working through that in their own life through meditation or um, another tool that they can use to really touch base with themselves. Okay, so hypnosis is not for everybody. It sounds like. Yeah, I believe that everyone can be hypnotized. I mean, we're doing it all the time, whether it's as you know the, the driving trance or if we are um, in you know in a, in a good movie, we consciously know those pixels on the screen aren't real, but we still jump when the horror um, comes out behind the door or something. Um, I believe that everyone can be hypnotized, but again, it's it's all about that trust that you have both with hypnosis and your hypnotist. And so, if hypnosis just doesn't feel right for you, there are other ways to deal with the issue. Okay. Now, do you um, now you focus more on the hypnosis part, or if someone decided, hey, this is just isn't for me, do you still work with them in in a I guess a non hypnotic state? Yeah, what I uh, most of my work is hypnosis, especially now that I've specialized in this for so long. Um, sure. I do also do work with NLP, with EFT, with faster tapping techniques. But if someone is like, I, I really it's, it's a little too woo woo for me, or I'm I want something you know more standard. Um, I do have some really great relationships with therapists, with um, with health experts like dietitians and nutritionists and weight loss coaches. Um, and if, if it's just not a good fit, I do recommend that out to other people. 
Okay. Okay. Now for those, um, you know, with just getting started and things of that nature, I mean, what, with regard to the whole emotional eating, the weight loss, the building your relationship, what are some of the most important things that they can, that people can know or people can learn as, as they go into this, uh, this whole new journey, so to speak? Yeah. One of the most important things I always stress with people is that you really ought to be kind to yourself on your weight loss journey because beating yourself up is not only making yourself feel terrible, it's actually reinforcing that issue because what we focus on, our mind tends to repeat. What we celebrate, our mind tends to think, you know, this this was what we're supposed to do, right? And so it continues that habit. And I also stress that oftentimes, especially when working with disordered eating, people think their brains are at odds with them. They are fighting their minds where the mind, it's trying to help you. It's on your side. The mind wants to help you because if it doesn't help you, then it really has nowhere to live. And so our minds are not broken. Our minds are actually working perfectly. They are simply running an imperfect program perfectly. And a program like emotional eating or disordered eating or weight gain and retention, it's our body's way of sticking with the status quo. Because at one time it found that that specific solution worked for one particular issue. And so it's going to stick with that as long as possible until it finds a better solution. And so I just stress to anyone starting their journey that it is possible to work with this. And it's it's actually, um, your mind is trying to help you. It's not that you're fighting yourself. It's that you're fighting the old programs that your mind simply needs to release. Mm, I love that. Just kind of fighting the old programs, unlearning the old habits and learning new ones. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Doug, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, the best way would be probably to go to my website. Um, My business is called Anywhere Hypnosis because I do weight loss hypnosis and other eating disorders issues uh, with people all around the world, whether it's in India, Australia, here in the U.S., um, that website is anywherehypnosis.com. I've got a couple of free resources. And if people want to try out or learn kind of the science behind hypnosis, I also offer a lot of great resources and information on YouTube. And they can find that simply by searching Anywhere Hypnosis on YouTube. Fantastic. We'll, we will include all of those in the show notes. Doug, it's been amazing and quite a journey and, and very informative to understand that role that hypnosis can play in helping people overcome that emotional eating piece, which is so, so, so prevalent among, among our society. Absolutely. Thank you so much for yeah. being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 